The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Well, good morning, everybody. I had to say that was quite the introduction. I'm not sure that I was uh, ready for Matt to go that in depth, and uh, honestly, I feel a little bit unprepared with the fact that he gave me that, that good of an introduction there. But good morning to you. Um, it is a blessing to be up here in front of you this morning. If it's your first time joining us, like Matt said, welcome. Thank you for tuning in. And if you're wondering who I am, I know Matt kind of already said it. My name's Chris Revel. I'm the next-gen director here at Story City Church. If you do know who I am, there's probably one or two things that seem a little different. One, my hair is completely out of control, and there's enough gel in it right now to hold down just about anything. And two, is I do have a wedding ring on my finger. That's right. Three months ago, almost, I got to marry the most amazing woman in the world. Her name's now Jenny Revel. So, this is the first time actually, I've actually been able to tell a large group that publicly, even though it's really just virtually, but it's the first time I've been able to say that. So I wanted to take the chance this morning to go ahead and say that out loud. If you're wondering what Next Gen is, that's youth ministry and kids ministry. I had the pleasure of serving alongside Laura Hood, our director of kids ministry as well. Atlas Youth Ministry, as you heard, we meet every other Wednesday night during the summer, and we'd love for you to join us this coming up Wednesday at 6.30 via Zoom. And this is the third time I've been able to preach here at Story City since moving out here. Every time I am, I'm humbled by the opportunity to be able to speak the truth of God's Word to you. And it's the same thing this morning. When the lead pastor asks you to preach on a Sunday, that's, that's a big deal, especially being the family ministry next-gen guy. That, there's a lot of things that start kind of rolling through your head that you're like, all right, all right, Lord, what, what am I going to preach on? What, what in the world does our church need to hear this morning? At the same time, the question goes through my head that, hold on, we're, we're normally about 15 to 18 minutes on a Wednesday night with youth with the message, do I need to go longer than that? The answer is yes, I will go slightly longer than 15 minutes, but I will do my best to not chase any rabbits. So this morning, as Matt said, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 6, and the title of the sermon today is going to be called Out of the Valley. You often hear people in church talk about the highs and lows, the hills and valleys that happen during life. The current season that many of us have been in has very much been a valley. There doesn't, that doesn't mean that there's no positives to take away, but the overall toll from this latest season has been tough individually for our city, our nation, and our world as a whole. The truth about any hill or valley experience is that they don't last forever. It will pass. When this valley passes, what's next? When you're on the other side of a mountaintop experience, what happens? Are you prepared? What character traits are going to rise to the surface once we're out of this valley? What character traits are you laying the foundation for now 
so that no matter what happens, you can reflect the characteristics of Christ to the world around you. If you have your Bibles and now's the time, you can go ahead and flip to Daniel chapter 6. If not, we'll have it up on the screen. But before we jump in, I'd love to open us in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for today, the fact that we were able to wake up this morning and see the beauty of your creation. We thank you that you were sovereign and you were on the throne. Please use this time to draw us closer to you. In your name we pray, amen. I'd like to give us a little background for Daniel and a little context to the passage that we're going to be in today. Daniel is a very well-known prophet in the Bible, and there's two to three specific stories in Daniel that normally stick out. Let me rephrase that. There's normally two to three stories that stick out to students and kids in the book of Daniel. The first being the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and the, being thrown into the fiery furnace. The second would be the handwriting on the wall. And the third is going to be Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. Those three stories stick out for obvious reasons. But I really want us to get a picture of Daniel's life and his character in these moments. Daniel is often broken down into two parts, chapters 1 through 6 and chapters 7 through 12. The chapters that we're going to be focusing on this morning is going to be 1 through 6, which speak directly to those experiences of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what else we need to know before we dive in any deeper is that the consistent theme throughout the entire book of Daniel is God's sovereignty through any and every situation. So we have Daniel's story. Daniel 1 starts with King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire, besieging Jerusalem. After they've taken over, the king gives order to the chief eunuch to take people from the royal family, people of nobility, people without blemish, a good, of good appearance, skillful in all wisdom, and empowered with knowledge. The goal was essentially to take the best and the brightest in the kingdom and teach them the literature and the ways of the Babylonians. The goal was to isolate, to indoctrinate, assimilate, and confuse each one of these people that were taken. This included four teenagers by the name of Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. If those three names don't sound familiar to you, those were the original names of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego before their names were changed by the Babylonian Empire. The first glimpse we get of Daniel's character we see in the second half of chapter 1 of Daniel and his friends when they won't defile themselves with the king's food like everyone else. God ends up rewarding their faithfulness with learning and skill and all wisdom and understanding of dreams. We then jump forward to chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar's first dream. The king summons his magicians, enchanters, and sorcerers to help him understand what his dream and the interpretation of that dream. Obviously, none of those magicians or sorcerers could tell him what the dream was or the interpretation. This infuriates the king to the point where he says if nobody can tell him what it is, he's going to kill all the wise men in the kingdom. That includes Daniel and his three friends. The four men seek the Lord together. The Lord reveals the dream and interpretation to Daniel, and he approaches the king his life and the life of his friends on the line. And he tells the dream and the interpretation to the king accurately. 
Daniel's character continues to be revealed to us. Daniel is then appointed to be over the province of Babylon. And of course, he does not forget his friends, who are also promoted to oversee the affairs of Babylon. Chapter 3 is well known because of the fiery furnace, right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown in because they would not submit and bow down and worship an image that the king had built. They are thrown into the fiery furnace and they survive. They're taken out and the king ends up giving praise to the one true God. Chapter 4 is Nebuchadnezzar having another dream which Daniel interprets. Chapter 5, we have the story of the handwriting on the wall with the new king, Belshazzar, Nebuchadnezzar's son, which Daniel is brought in to interpret, and he interprets it right, before Babylon falls to Darius the Mede. We finally get to chapter 6, which is going to be our focus for this morning, and the verses that I'll read for us are going to be verses 1 through 11. So if you have your Bible, we're going to start in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom." Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Verse 5, then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. Verse 10, when Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had his windows and his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. There's a lot there, so I want to start by unpacking verse 1. We see the reign of Darius the Mede begin. Who do we see in verse 2? Of course, we see Daniel. Darius had three high officials he had appointed to oversee the kingdom and the provinces so that he wouldn't suffer a loss, which Daniel was over each one of them. I want to make a quick note here. Daniel was already under two previous kings. Daniel has ended, now ended up as one of the top officials in a new kingdom. Please understand that this is not a coincidence. This does not happen. And historically, when a new kingdom, a regime, takes over, normally the people that are closest to the king don't last very long. 
Verse 3, we see Daniel becomes distinguished above all other high officials because an excellent spirit was in him. He is so distinguished that the king sets him over the entire kingdom. Verse 4 tells us how the other officials were not a fan of Daniel. They search and they search for anything they can find that could turn, so that they could turn him into the king to have him lose his position or be killed. A main takeaway this morning is found in the last half of verse 4. It says they could find no fault or ground for complaint against Daniel. Proverbs 16, 7 says, when a man's way pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Our main takeaway is that Daniel has impeccable character. When I say that he has impeccable character, I mean that the distinct traits or moral qualities in which he was known were unblemished, pure, and guiltless. These are four traits I want us to look at this morning that make up Daniel's impeccable character. And there are a number of other traits that you will see in Daniel's life, but I believe that they can be funneled into these four. The first character trait is going to be faithfulness. Daniel's character was so impeccable that his enemies had to search for a way to use his faithfulness to God against him. Daniel lived out a life of faithfulness that was seen by everyone that he came into contact with. It may just be me, but when I look at Daniel's current position, it very much looks like a hill or a mountaintop. He was not killed by the, pre, or by the new king, and now he's over the entire province or the entire kingdom that Darius is over. The faithfulness didn't start once things went right for Daniel, and then he started to become faithful. That's not how it happened. When we look back to chapter 1 of Daniel, this goes back to when he was a teenager being taken captive by a foreign kingdom. The faithfulness that we see in Daniel's life in every mountaintop or valley experience was built upon a strong foundation of his relationship with God. That strong foundation was years in the making. When we look at our lives, do we exemplify the faithfulness of Christ in our everyday life? It's much easier to be faithful when things are going well and we don't feel pressed. In a commentary on Daniel, the president of Southeastern Seminary, Daniel Aiken, said this, Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed in the moment of adversity. Christian character is not forged in the moment of adversity. Christian character is revealed in the moment of adversity. It doesn't take long reading through the Gospels to see adversity in Christ's life. Think back to when Jesus was arrested, tried, and crucified. He did nothing wrong, yet he was faithful to what God the Father called him to do. In a moment of the most extreme adversity while Jesus was on the cross, Luke 23, 34 tells us that Jesus says this, and please remember, this is while he's hanging on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What, I mean, what an incredible testament to Christ-like character and an example for us in the most extreme of situations, the most extreme adversity. When adversity comes, 
what is revealed about your character? Are you constantly working to be faithful to God and what his word says? Or is it just when it's convenient for you in your situation? As we continue reading in verse 6, we see that the high officials come up with a way that they know they can get Daniel to break an ordinance. The king then agrees to establish this rule for the next 30 days, that whoever petitions to any god or man but the king will be thrown in the lion's den. The king agrees to sign this document, and we all know what happens next. Daniel's thrown into the lion's den, and yep, he doesn't die. But if we're not careful, we miss verse 10. Daniel hears that the document is signed, and he knows the consequences of his actions. But what does he do? Daniel goes to where he prays every day, and he gets down on his knees to pray and give thanks to God. The second character trait that Daniel portrays is courage. Knowing that he's going to be, get thrown in the lion's den, if he's seen, nothing stops Daniel from his time and his relationship with the Lord. We see a parallel from chapter 3 with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that no matter what the king said to do, if it was against the word of God, they were not going to do it, and there was no wavering. They had courage, and they trusted that God is sovereign and that he is in control. They knew that if, God was, if it was God's will to save them, he was going to save them, and there was nothing anyone could do to change that outcome. As believers, the world is going to throw all types of things at each one of us. It takes courage to stand strong. It takes courage to be bold. It takes courage to stand against what the world may say is okay. Do you trust the Lord to deliver you? Courage can be defined as the quality of mind which enables someone to encounter danger or difficulty without giving up. Biblical courage, on the other hand, is not based on what you can do. Biblical courage is based specifically in your trust and your confidence in God. If I have total confidence in God that He says who He says He is, that I'm covered by the blood of Jesus, what can man, what can the world do to me? If we want to speak directly into the moment that we are in right now, staying true and standing firm in the truth of God's word may mean that you have a relationship that is fractured or lost because you are standing firm in the truth of God's word. Are you willing to stay true? to the Word of God, even if it costs you something. Matthew 8, 18 through 22, this is Jesus teaching the cost of discipleship, right? The cost of following Him. Starting in verse 18, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowd around Him, He gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to Him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes. And birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Pastor David Platt, in a commentary on this passage, 
I love how simple he puts it. He says, to the first guy that comes up, Jesus says, follow me, and you're not guaranteed to have a roof over your head. To the second, he says, if you follow me, I'm all that you've got. Jesus is making clear that he is worthy of unconditional trust. You may lose everything in this world. You may not be guaranteed a roof over your head. And in that moment, is Jesus enough? Is Jesus enough for you? You don't get to where Daniel has been with either King Nebuchadnezzar or King Darius without being a man of integrity. Our third character trait is integrity. No matter the king or kingdom that Daniel is around or a part of, the person in charge trusts Daniel 1,000%. If we go back to verse 4 in the original language, when it's describing Daniel being faithful, it translates to being reliable, loyal, trustworthy, and dependable. It's the same word that is used in chapter 2 when Daniel's giving the interpretation of the king's dream, when it's saying that it's sure. What Daniel is saying, it is trustworthy, it's dependable. Looking through verses 1 through 11 in chapter 6, we get a great picture of what integrity looks like and what it doesn't. On one side, we have Daniel, who is so trusted and faithful that he's going to be promoted to oversee the entire kingdom. On the other side, we have the other officials that are seeking to get Daniel killed because they want his job. We can see a parallel between Daniel and Jesus. Both Jesus and Daniel are honest and trustworthy, and they exemplify integrity and having others working, even though they have others working behind the scenes and scheming to get them killed. Even with all the scheming, their their integrity does not waver. They're honest, they're trustworthy, and they're dependable. There may be some hard conversations that each one of us have had over the last number of weeks, or maybe we need to have. It may not just be enough trying to say one or two verses and fit them into a situation that you were in. It may be time, it is time, to let the gospel be seen in how you act, treat, and love everyone that you come in contact with. Let the gospel be seen through your actions. Let the truth of God's word be seen through how you love others. The last character trait that makes up Daniel's impeccable character is humility. What is humility? I love asking questions like this to our youth because I can guarantee from at least one person, pretty quickly, I'm going to get the response, well, it means you're humble. And they're not wrong. But what does it mean to be humble? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, gives us an example of someone who isn't humble. He says, a proud man is always looking down on things and people, and of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. 
Humility does not mean that you get walked all over. Daniel consistently stood his ground, but he also did so with grace and humility. Humility shows an absence of pride and arrogance. We mentioned earlier having a strong foundation when talking about Daniel's faithfulness. Augustine said, if you plan to build a tall house of virtues, you must lay deep foundations of humility. If you plan to build a tall house of virtues, you, may, you must lay deep foundations of humility. Daniel was extremely humble. When you go back through the first five chapters, you see that Daniel not, never asked for positions or power or anything. He did make sure that his friends are taken care of. If you jump forward to Daniel 9, you see Daniel humbly approaching God on behalf of himself and on behalf of his nation, confessing his sin and the sins of his nation as a whole. The best example we have of humility is Jesus. The picture that always comes to mind when we talk about Christ's humility is from John 13. If you recall, the passage is Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Jesus, the creator, redeemer, and savior, washing the feet of his disciples, knowing what's about to happen. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says, Have this among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God to be something to be grasped. Be empty, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what does Daniel's impeccable character have to do with each one of us in June of 2020? When you look back at Daniel's life, there's no questioning the highs and lows, the hills and valleys, the impossible situations that Daniel is consistently thrown into. Daniel's country's taken over. He puts his life and his friend's life on the line with the interpretation of the king's dream. His friends are thrown into a fiery furnace. The kingdom he's a part of is now taken over, and he's persecuted because of his faith, and he's thrown into a lion's den. All of these things happen, but what do we know about Daniel's character in each situation? Daniel trusted the Lord and was faithful no matter what it may cost him. It's not surprising to me that in chapter 6, verse 10, it starts with Daniel knowing the document has been signed. Daniel knew what would happen to him, yet his time in prayer with the Father was worth more than his life. Daniel's character was impeccable. Daniel's character mirrored the character of Christ. Jesus Christ is the new and the better Daniel. Yes, Daniel is a great example of Christ-like character. Throughout hills and valleys, mountaintops, whatever it may be, but Daniel was human. We are human. 
that means we're going to fall short. There are going to be times where we're not faithful. There'll be times where we don't have courage. There are going to be times where our integrity may not be what we want it to be, or it may be in question. And yes, there will also be times where we are prideful. Our pride will get the best of us. There are going to be times where our character is not Christ-like. But there is hope. There is hope. We have hope because of Jesus. We have hope because Jesus paid the ultimate price. We have hope because the grave could not hold him. Death had no power over him. We have hope because Jesus was and is perfect. His character has never faltered and it never will. Even when we are weak, Christ is strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 is the Apostle Paul. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. God gave Paul the power to serve effectively despite the weaknesses that he had. The same can be said about each one of us. Despite our weaknesses and falling short, the power of the Holy Spirit working through us helps us in each one of our weaknesses. At some point, we're going to be out of the valley that we're in. It may be right around the corner or it may not. What we do know is that there will be another valley that comes up at some point in our lives. I don't say that to be pessimistic in any way, but I say that just to be honest with you and tell you that we live in a sinful world that has fallen. Life is not lived only from the mountaintops. There are other valleys that are coming for us individually, our families, our country, our church. Are you building a strong foundation, a solid foundation? Is the character being forged now, the Christ-like character that is going to be revealed the next time that adversity comes? We see at the beginning of chapter 4 and the end of chapter 6 what a life of Christ-like character can do. Yes, Daniel was just a man, but you have King Nebuchadnezzar and King Darius, the Mede, two kings, two pagan kings, praise the one true God. Daniel's life was an example for both of them. No matter the situation, Daniel was faithful. He had biblical courage. He was a man of integrity, and he was humble. All of those characteristics shown perfectly later in the life of Jesus Christ. The world is watching. And as believers, we should be able to stand together with character that resembles that of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There should be unity in standing firm in the truth of God's word, and we should be a light for a world that desperately needs Jesus. Your foundation is being forged as we speak right now. Does your character resemble the character of our risen Savior? 
Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that no matter what the cost, Lord, you went to the cross. Lord, you didn't deserve it, but you went there willingly. Father, I pray that your name would be glorified. Father, I pray that the foundations that we are forging right now would be ones that would see your kingdom be glorified and magnified, that your name would be praised above all else in our city, in our country, and around the world. Lord, you're worth it. You're more than enough in any situation. We love you and we praise your name. Amen.